Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hey, listeners, welcome back to the Paleo View. Hi, Sarah. Hello. I'm just like, I did it like a double wave. I felt like really enthusiastic right there for all of our listeners. <laughs> oh, no. Like, We're going to get enthusiastic, Sarah, tonight. We do have jazz hands, Sarah. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, it might be the fact that I had chocolate ice cream for dessert and for like a really unusual treat. Um, but my husband's out of town, and so you know we were like breaking the rules with the girls. <laughs> so it was like, let's have dessert, like such a special thing. So maybe I'm just on a, like a sugar caffeine high right now. Maybe that's it. Or maybe I'm just really excited about podcasting and having a guest on the show today. Both are very exciting. However. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe she's excited because I'm going to come visit her soon. And we just finalized plans. I'm already, like, trying to plan meals and, like, yeah, I'm, I'm already. And uh, my girls are, like, fighting over, like, who's going to play with who. It's, it's awesome. It's Can I awesome. request roasted okra? Just you and me will just eat the whole tray. If I can find it this time of year, it's like crazy out of season. Oh, well, yeah, I guess. All right. You can roast something else delicious that's in season. That's true. Well, for those listeners in the dark, um, I'm going to be having Easter dinner at Sarah. So we're going to need to plan a little bit, Sarah, and maybe next week we can tell everybody what we're going to be doing. Um, uh, yeah. I still need to think, wait, do you guys have a traditional Easter dinner in your family or do you just eat a good meal? We just eat a good meal. I I like to have a spring vegetable like peas or asparagus or something like that's kind of the extent of it. Um, well, that's like every meal for me. So in the spring, so (laughs) comes up Um, to that one. But before we jump into our menu, which pretty much let's be real, that's what a a foodie friendship is all about. Just plan our menus together. Um, We do have a guest on the podcast this week, so I don't want to keep her waiting very long. Um, I think maybe I'll just jump in. Sarah, do you have anything else? Yeah, no, let's bring Sophie on. Awesome. So, welcome, Sophie, to the Paleo View. How are you? Hi, ladies. I'm very good, and thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being on. I'm so excited to have someone with an accent because Sarah's losing hers. <laughs> but I never had a French accent. <laughs> I don't know. Your Canadian accent was influenced by some Frenchisms sometimes. Je peux parler français. Exactly. Yeah. So. Ooh, c'est très bien, Sarah. <laughs> we've just we become a podcast in French from now on. Yeah, we've just yes. become even can more we, international. Um, can we do this in French? <laughs> Uh, Désolé, mais non. No, I haven't had French since like 11th grade, so I would be pulling out the translator 
Um, there would be like a very small contingent of our listeners who are bilingual who would be super, super crazy excited. And then everyone else would be like, what's what with the is, French podcast? Yeah, what is happening? So, Sophie, you're from A Squirrel in the Kitchen. Um, yes. And you have a new book coming out, which is in English as well as French. <laughs> or how are people finding Autoimmune Protocol Made Simple? Um can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from and, and your book? Yes, so um, I'm Sophie, and I come from Belgium originally, and um, my um, native language is uh, French. But then we moved out, we moved to the United States in 2000 uh, with our family. And, um, you know, we moved to Colorado, and we loved it here. And then uh, in 2009, I got really, really sick. I'm going to give you the very short and condensed um, story. But and then um, in 2009, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's uh, for two, three years. I tried to find my way through a gluten-free diet that didn't work, got worse. And I finally found AIP in 2012. And that was the revelation. Um, I found the website of um, Sarah, and that's how I got started. And that changed my life. And after a couple of years on the autoimmune protocol, um, I was looking for a way to keep myself motivated and continue to create recipes and stay on top of my diet. So I started blogging. And uh, I was also, also so happy of the good results I got on the autoimmune protocol that I wanted to, to share that with everyone and, and tell the world, you know, guys, you can change um, your health with, with the way you eat. So that's how A Squirrel in the Kitchen started. And then I wrote my first cookbook, uh, autoimmune protocol cookbook, which is Simple French Paleo, who came out two years ago. And now I'm really excited because I have a new book baby coming out very soon, June 12th, and uh, it's on pre-order right now uh, on Amazon, and um, it's also available in uh, UK, in Canada, and Australia. And I've had a sneak peek of this new book, and I can attest to, like, all of our AIP listeners, and actually, mm, all of our paleo listeners are going to want to go out and grab it. Sophie is... um, just a master at developing really amazing complex flavors with really simple ingredients and simple cooking techniques and so it's just like Sophie's recipes are like a must-have really for any any kitchen because you can create the most amazing things just with so little actual effort and hands-on time with Sophie's recipes so I highly recommend both of Sophie's books. Well, thank you so much. And, and you, you, you are right on. I was trying to, to show people that it's possible to, to eat nutrient-dense and health-promoting food uh, in a simple way, but that would be also very creative and accessible and, and appealing to everyone. So one of the reasons, Sophie, that we wanted to have you on this show is because you have, I think, a very common experience, which is the experience of uh, following a specific diet. I mean, in your case, it's the autoimmune protocol, but maybe in our listeners' case, it's, you know, paleo or modified paleo in some other way. In a family where not everybody is on board 
with that. And we thought that having you on the show was like a really great opportunity to dig into that a little bit more and and talk about some of the ways that uh, some of the challenges to eating differently than the rest of the family, but also some of the ways that you can kind of accommodate your dietary needs with the dietary needs of other family members um, and sort of provide a little bit of a toolkit for our listeners who are maybe struggling with something similar. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, unfortunately, my, my answer to this is not a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, it depends a lot on, on your own variable and how much control you have over them. And uh, it, you have to be ready also to adapt because things are going to change over time. They were all over the map and I was in a lot of pain. Um, my kids were small, smaller. <laughs> at the time, which means that I still have, I still had at the time the power to, to direct their food choices, mm. which changed later in life. Uh, I was in charge of everything in the kitchen. It was my domain. Uh, <laughs> I was the one cooking. And uh, at the time, my spouse was on board. So these were my variables. And so which means that I had a lot of control on what was happening in my life, food-wise at the time. And I was able to um, switch everyone progressively to the, to the autoimmune protocol. Um, for example, I was cooking one core meal for everyone. And for example, if my husband wanted to add some rice or quinoa because he needed to go out, to, to go out for a bike ride, well, I would just you know, make that on the side. Uh, but we had the same common meal, which made everything so much easier. I didn't have to cook different meals for everyone. Um, then we had a discussion as a family, and I explained to them the, the why of the autoimmune protocol, why I had to eat this way, that it was very important for my health and, and my recovery. Um, so we decided as a family that we would not allow gluten inside the house. So that was like the red line, no gluten, um, because I was very much concerned about cross-contamination, of course. Um, so um, after talking with everyone, they understood and, and that was negotiated. Um, but um, they also had... Um, their own snacks in the pantry. So, which means that I didn't put the responsibility on my family of not being able to eat anything that was not AIP. Um, I switched the responsibility to me. I told them, it's okay for you to have your own snacks, keep them in this area in the kitchen. And, and then I was in charge of, of not getting in there, not getting in the pantry and, and getting to their snacks. But it was easy for me at the beginning because, as I said, I was very highly motivated. I was in pain. So at the time, you could dangle anything in front of my nose and I would just be, it wouldn't faze me. Um, later, a few years after, it was not the same anymore. But at the beginning, that, that was the yeah. case. I think, um, I think many of us have had, like I certainly had a similar transition. Um, where the first couple months that I was paleo, this was before I was even autoimmune protocol, 
um, I was just trying it for myself. And what I did was very similar to what you did, except that we were not, it wasn't a gluten-free house at that time. I would literally create the components of the meal and I would eat the components that were paleo. And then my family would have the whole meal. So for example, I would make a batch of spaghetti sauce and I would have it over zucchini noodles for myself, but I'd make regular pasta for my family. And it wasn't until I had been paleo for a couple of months before I was like, I actually, this is really amazing and I'm reading more science and I'm understanding that this is actually the way I think, you know, my whole family should eat. And then they did sort of a gradual transition into, uh, paleo and now actually uh because i there's certain i cook and um do all the shopping so there's certain things that i never make like i never make anything with tomatoes because i just really can't eat them so there's certain like aip foods or aip eliminations that like never make it into our diet so my family kind of eats um some weird hybrid between like paleo and AIP, but they also have rice. So it's like this weird, like, I don't even know what to call it. If you call that a modified paleo, modified AIP. Um, but one of the things that you were telling me uh, before we started recording was that you hit a point when your kids got older where they stopped wanting to eat this way. And I'd, I'd love for you to kind of talk about that because my kids are still young, so I'm taking notes. <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, so uh, going back a few years, um, when they were smaller, um, you know, we, we, we ate together. It was a big family affair. We would eat together every night around the, the family table. Um, and that was easy because we, we had the same meal um, together. But then they, starting grow they started growing up. And um, they became teenagers, they had their own cars, they started having their jobs and earning their own money, which means that they could go out and they could get to processed food and they could get to fast foods and things that we didn't eat at home. So that's when things started to change. And actually, they don't, they all, I have three kids, by the way, three girls. Um, they didn't react the same way, all of them. Um, I would say that one of them just went totally off and, and embraced junk food, unfortunately. Um, one of them became became vegetarian, and the third one, she kind of was, of, was in the middle. Um, and they, they each went their own way, um, and I decided that well, I, I didn't decide. They decided for me. I could not impose on them their food choices anymore. So mm -hmm. since I have a limited amount of energy, I had to choose my battles. And so we decided that, okay, what's happening outside of the house, that's your problem. But inside the house, you will continue with the no gluten rule. Uh, but then, you know, you, you, you do pretty much whatever you want. And, and that's that's where we are at right now. So I still continue to cook for myself and they have access to healthy food um, and they, they will eat what I'm making. But they, they, you know, they go out and they buy their own stuff now. That's the same that I've been doing with essentially my oldest, um, who is going to turn 13 this year, but I can't even like say that out loud. Um, oh. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, 
he would spend the night at a friend's house and he would come back and I knew, I mean, I could just tell he was physically bloated. He was cranky and whatever. And he would, no, no, I, I didn't eat gluten. And, you know, for me, what was more upsetting about that was that we weren't being honest with one another. And so I would just say like my specific recommendation, like what I chose to do and what I think was helpful for our relationship was to say, listen, I'm not going to be mad about the choices that you make for your body. Like I have done everything I can as a parent to show you and teach you about this stuff, but you are your own person and it's your own body. And when you're not in my house and it's not my money that's paying for it, like you can make the choices that you want to make and I'm not going to be upset with you, but I need you to be honest with me because it's not okay to lie. And I think that really opened up the conversation for us where then you know, we could talk about what were the things he was eating and like in what quantities and over time it became more of a, well, what could we do instead or whatever. And I think once he kind of got it out of his system and who knows, you know, what'll happen long-term, but he chose to not anymore, right? Like he, he would go and he would either bring his own popcorn he could pop or, you know, whatever, instead of the cookies that they were having or the cereal for breakfast or whatever it was. So I think it's, to me, I think, like you said, a lot about respecting our children as being their own people. As they get older, they need the freedom to explore. And like anything else, I think food is going to be one of those things that they're going to test our boundaries with, specifically because for those of us who've had food-restricted homes, I think that's such a you know a big part of rebelling, right? And to me, I'm like, if the worst thing that he's doing is eating gluten, then I'm doing okay. You know, like, he'll be okay. Um, but my middle There's one... There's a I- big difference between, like, getting a tattoo and eating some gluten outside of that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I have talked to my middle one who is a lot more similar to me in terms of our health and like his skin and how his body reacts to certain things. I have talked to him and I've, I've explained that I think that he probably has the same thing that my mom has and that I have. And that the more he exposes himself, the more likely he will be to have the anaphylactic reactions and the autoimmune conditions and all the kinds of things that will come later in life if he makes those choices. And so he, for example, we ordered gluten-free pizza for his uh, birthday party this weekend and we asked for garlic white sauce on his pizza and they put red sauce on it. And he chose to not eat his own birthday pizza because it had red sauce on it and he didn't want to do that. And so I I do think, and he's turning 10, like, it's not like he's a, you know, a small child only influenced by my decisions, but he's also not yet a teen. But I do think that allowing him that choice, like I didn't tell him, no, don't eat that or whatever, you know, I just was like, oh man, this sucks, you know, like, what do you want to do about it? And he says, well, can I share your pizza? And I'm like, of course, you know, and then he just didn't eat his. So um, I hope that we're enabling them the more we educate and the more we empower to make the choices that are ultimately going to be the best for them. But we can't force them, you know, we just, we wouldn't want to be forced when we were that age either, you know. That's so true, Stacey. Like, we, we, we don't want to decide for them. We want to teach them to make the right decision. And, and that's different. And, and we have to remember that, you know, once they get to middle school and high school, the peer pressure around food is, is really present. And, and 
um, you know, it's hard to resist. They, they go out with friends and everybody's having a pop or is having, you know, a burger and fries. And, and it's really difficult at that age to, to say, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm eating a restricted diet or no, no, I don't want to eat this because I'm going to get bloated. They don't just say that. So it's, it's hard for them as well. So that, that's the other side of the coin. And I think that if, if we, we the, the best we can do is to be a role model, to show them what, how we, we think that um, we need to eat to be in good health. And so we show them the example. And I'm sure, I'm convinced for my kids that the day they will need to really, you know, rein it in and, and get down and, and be very careful about what they are eating, they will know what to do because they saw me doing it. So I think that somehow they have, they are in advance already compared to to other kids who might not have been exposed to that kind of upbringing. I agree. So one of the things that I have always found very difficult, and maybe this is. Um, I think more the psychological aspect for me eating differently than the rest of my family. When I buy a treat for them or snacks for them that have, you know, that's their snacks they get to take to school, whatever it is. Um, I know it's something that I'm not going to feel good. And there's a spectrum, right? Some of those things I might be violently ill, <laughs> you know, I might be have crazy joint pain for months. Some of those things, I might just be a little bit bloated for a couple hours, right? There's a spectrum in terms of how I'm going to feel if I uh, share in those foods with the kids uh, or with my husband. But there's there's definitely things that I have in my house that are things that are in my house for my family and not for me. Um, but I, I, I think there's two things that I really struggle with. One is having those foods around me does get the little pouty voice going in the back of my head of like, you know, fair, I can't eat that. You can eat that, right? That little pouty teenager voice in the back of my head. Um, but the other thing that it does is um, it's temptation. And, you know, I have a history of binge eating disorder, right? So I will still periodically have um, this sort of compulsion to overeat. And when those things are around, sometimes I don't make a great choice. And I'm just kind of wondering, um, Sophie, if you've ever sort of experienced that sort of more emotional aspect of having um, people in your home who are eating different foods than you can eat. Um, yes, certainly. But I've been in different places um, since I started the autoimmune protocol. Like I mentioned, I was very motivated at the beginning. So I was feeling very strong in my decision to stick with the autoimmune protocol. And um, I was very strict. Um, and, and because I have been strict in, in the first phase of the autoimmune protocol, I got good results very quickly. Um, it's it's when when I started to feel better and kind of forgetting about my condition that um, I would be more susceptible to to reach for a snack. Um, and there are snacks that I can I can I can eat. Um, you know I, I might get away with eating um, a gluten free cookie or two, uh, but I can't get away with eating chocolate because I'm I'm reacting to it and immediately I have joint pain. 
So I've had I've had to learn my limits. I've had to learn the foods I'm reacting to and those that I'm doing well with. And then, uh, just like you, uh, uh, I'm an abstainer because I can't just take one cookie out of the bag and, and be happy with it. I'm the type of person who will go for the whole bag, the yes. whole thing. Zero so, or all of it. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it's about knowing yourself, knowing where you are in your healing, what you can afford to do uh, and make the right decision for yourself. Just like we were talking that orchids need to learn to make the right decisions. Well, we have to do it also. I know, but sometimes it's hard. <laughs> I'm not the only person who feels that way. Sometimes. No, of, I mean, of course you're not. I would say I have a little bit of the opposite side of the coin, which is there's some sort of switch in my brain. And I think part of it is because I tell myself, like, I don't eat those. And I think the it's not about like, I can't eat those. It's not a deprivation. Like when I see tomato sauce, I see like toxic. I see, I see like, um, pain. I don't see like the delicious food that I used to love my grandmother making and eating for me anymore. Like I don't look at food that I know will be super problematic for me. Like if I know something has gluten in it, I am not even remotely tempted by it. Like to me, I'm just like, nope. Not a possibility, not even a food. Like, I think that's the thing is I think of it like an inanimate object that does not belong inside my body and I just am not tempted. But I do think for sure that there are other foods that, you know, moderation, like you said, one or two is fine. Like, for example, for me, French fries. Like, I can do potatoes, but I can't do a lot of them and I can't do skins, right? And so I think for other people... um, we all, all of us have autoimmune conditions, but each one of us has our limits and they're different. Like you can't do chocolate, but I can, I can't do corn, Sarah can, you know, and, and we have to learn to listen to our bodies. And I think that that's so difficult if you have a voice of sadness or any sort of emotion tied with food. And I think that's something that really was a lesson that I had to learn after this big, long journey of paleo and then AIP and it was this whole thing about deprivation and food elimination and when I started thinking about it from the perspective of adding nutrient-rich foods into my diet and choosing to no longer eat the foods that didn't make me feel well like talking to myself in those words had such a different impact in the way that I saw the foods that I knew would make me sick Mm. does that make sense Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny because I, you know, I say that I find these certain foods uh, tempting and it, I, I do have to admit that there's certain foods, the foods that will make me violently ill aren't tempting. There's not a thing of where I go like, Ooh, you know, pizza, wheat. Wow. I don't like wheat has completely lost its hold on me because I intend to never eat that again in my entire life, at least not on purpose. Um, but it's more, it's the, it's the gluten-free cookies or let's face it. It's the gluten-free treats, um, that I know it's too much sugar for me. I know I'm not going to feel good. It's, um, I know that some of those gluten-free grains, um, you know, they kind of, they, they, my digestion doesn't love them. So, um, they might just make me a little bit, you know, gassy or bloated, but it's not a terrible thing and it's fairly transient. It's those things that, don't knock the wheels off the cart, but are maybe this like insidious eroding if I let it 
uh, become a frequent occurrence. And those are the things that uh, if my kids get to have them and, and, and those are the things that for me, I'm like, uh, you know, I really know that I will feel better if I go grab a piece of fruit instead. Um, and that I think is, I think that right there is one of the biggest challenges to eating differently than the rest of our families is the temptation. Um, I think that there's a, like, there's a practical aspect to, you know, cooking, right. Cooking meals and components and, and having, uh, the, you know, regular pasta noodles versus the zucchini noodles that you swap out for with the paleo sauce. Like that's a sort of a practical, just trying to, you know, having that extra pot on the stove and just trying to, to multitask a little bit more in the kitchen. And that's definitely, there's sort of like a learning curve to that aspect. But I think over the long haul for me, the hardest part, um, you know, back when I was eating paleo and the house wasn't gluten-free or now where, you know, the house is gluten-free and dairy-free, but there are some, you know, gluten-free foods that my family will have from time to time that I know I don't do super well with. It's that temptation of uh, just, you know, wanting to be able to indulge with the rest of my family. That, that to me, that, that's, that experience is um, the most challenging for me eating um, or just having like more rigid nutritional requirements for my body. Like my body just doesn't tolerate the things that my family's bodies do. Mm -hmm. I think, Um, Oh, sorry. I just was going to say, we did have a show and I think one of the words that I heard people say um, that really resonated with them about that is when we, we used a phrase where we called like the foods, the nutrient dense like healing foods versus we had a name I don't know if you remember it for foods that aren't healing and aren't nutrient dense and they're not productive foods but they aren't necessarily bad for you no I don't want to say bad but they aren't problematic necessarily for you either and I forget the word that we used but I know it resonated with a lot of people so I wish I would like (laughs) it would be so great if we we remembered it you know and how, how about food with empty calories? Because, I mean, calories are not our enemy, but it's when they are totally devoid of any nutrient that, you know, we don't, we want to avoid them when they are empty of nutrients. So it was a Yeah, suggestion. I mean, I think it's kind of like um, less about the caloric load and more about um, the damage it could cause to your body. So it's it's kind of like a... I don't know. I'll I'll see if I can Google it. But I I was meaning to like emphasize what you are saying by referring back to something we'd formally given a name to, and now we just blew it. I just I ruined the flow and the mojo. I mean, if it was more than two podcasts ago, I don't remember what we talked about. So I don't know. If I may, I would like to add just a little thing. Hmm. So after all the talk about temptation and snack and and resisting or giving in, I would like to say that if and when you give in, it's important to that you don't beat yourself up. It's not the end of the world. You are going to have your little reaction. You might be bloated or you might feel yucky or you might have, you know, a rash, a skin rash, whatever it is for you. But this doesn't mean that you failed. This doesn't mean that everything is lost. It was just one bad day. And and just don't let it turn into a bad week or a bad month. 
like the next day, you know, get yourself back up, pull yourself together and, and start over. Uh, I love I love that emphasis. Um, I, I think, in fact, one of the things that has for me over, I mean, I've been paleo for six and a half years now. I think what has actually kept me uh, on this path, um, besides, uh, as you mentioned on the top of the show, Sophie, blogging about it is such a great way to stay accountable. Uh, <laughs> so aside from that, I think is actually that has been one of the biggest things for me is to not let an indulgence become a snowball. And that is something that with a history of binge eating disorder, every time I would indulge, it would become a snowball. It would become two weeks of just like eating 10,000 calories a day, like eating all of the things. I was morbidly obese. Um, and that has been one of the biggest uh, things about my paleo journey that's maybe a little bit separate from paleo because it it has a lot more to do with um, uh, sort of addressing the mental health issues that I have, um, around food, but that's mm -hmm. been the biggest thing is, um, not letting that one, you know, choice that was maybe not the best choice for me, uh, somehow give me permission to make a ton more bad choices. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And yes. I, I would remind people too, that, like you said, it's it's done, it's over. You don't need to beat yourself up about it. But the best thing that you can do to help yourself heal and recover from that rash or the joint pain or the acne, whatever it is that your autoimmune condition or your flare or just your general health, even if you don't have an autoimmune condition, sometimes people who, you know, eat gluten get a result from it. The, the best way to help yourself heal is to eat those nutrient-dense foods and to eat the healing foods and focus on those and not those, I'm going to call them kind of gray area foods, although I know we had a better term for them before, um, that aren't necessarily a problem for you, but they don't contribute to your healing. So, you know, the more you're like, oh, well, I messed up. Now I'm just going to go on a bender. The it's just exposing your body to more things that are going to be problematic and harder to heal from. So it, it does no good to assign emotion to the foods that we're, we're eating. We just have to think about them as the fuel for our body and the best ways to optimize um, how to feel our best. Yes, I think that that's you have a very good point, Stacy. Like the frame of mind and the way we see food is very important. And a technique that I've been using for myself that I, I, has been successful when I was trying to get off of you know sugar and and snack. Uh, I didn't forbid myself to snack and, and to reach for something. What I did instead is that I prepared in the fridge all these healthy snacks that I could I could eat. So when, when the craving was hitting, I was not telling myself, no, don't eat. I was telling myself, yes, eat, but this and this and this. So I was giving myself good choices. Do you see the difference? Yeah. So what can you tell us about your upcoming cookbook? I love to ask people, um, like, what was your least favorite recipe <laughs> You're to develop? To start you're supposed to start with, what's your favorite recipe? No, because I know that you're going to be asked that question a million times. So it's more interesting to hear about the recipe that you struggled to perfect or the one that just was, you know, 
tell tell us some nice things about your book, but then I want to hear what was the recipe that just made you want to blow up your kitchen? Because we all have one. <laughs> well, usually for me, I'm not a big sauce person. I like to eat my stuff, my food with just uh, a drizzle of olive oil and some salt. So uh, I've had a hard time coming up with sauces like uh, a mayonnaise or ranch dressing or any, anything that's mayonnaise or dressing. I'm not a big fan of. So um, that was hard for me to create because I don't really use them on a daily basis. All right. So tell us something positive about your book. What do you like about your book? Um, I love everything about my book, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm in love with this one. Uh, I think it's so well-rounded. I love all the recipes besides the sauce and the mayonnaise um, because, you know, they are fresh and they make me want to eat something good and something healthy, healthy for myself. And I also made sure that all the recipes um, in between chapters would go well together, that they would pair well. So it would be easy to build um, menus. And then, yes, there is one little hidden gem in the cookbook that there is no picture for this one, because that's that's a little behind the scenes secret of publishing world is that you can't always afford to have a picture for every recipe in the cookbook because pictures do, they are expensive and they, they, write, they, they raise the price of the cookbook. So there is this recipe here that I could not um, get a picture of it, but it's so good. Um, it's the tummy soothing popsicle. So um, it's a recipe. So it's a popsicle. It, it's really, really easy um, to make. And is it's I'm going to it um, because I have it on my screen here, tummy soothing popsicle. So it's coconut water, lemon juice, fresh ginger, uh, fresh mint leaves, and a little touch of honey. And it's just so delicious. And it's the perfect remedy for an upset stomach. Um, but I like it anytime, anyway. It sounds delicious. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and joining us tonight. It's been a while since we delved into some of these topics. So I think it's good to remind ourselves <laughs> and our listeners. Can you remind everyone where they can find you and when your book is coming out? Yes, certainly. Um, so everyone can find me on my blog, A Squirrel in the Kitchen. Um, I usually like to hang out on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, that's where I'm most active. Um, and then I have uh, a new cookbook coming out June 12th, and it is called The Autoimmune Protocol Made Simple. And it will be available um, everywhere in United States, in UK, Canada and Australia. Thanks again, Sophie, for, for coming on the show this week. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Have a great one, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I feel like after five years, we would have gotten better at the outro. Like, have a great one, everyone. Really, that's the best thing I can come up with. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.